From understanding the news of today to explaining principles which will last a lifetime, you're listening to the Back 40 Leadership Podcast, equipping pastors and church leaders across rural America and beyond to meet the challenges of ministry while advancing the kingdom of God in your local community and in our world. I am here with Pastor Mel Massengale and Todd Stanley. Yes, you are. Hello, everyone. All right. You guys are listening to the Back 40 Leadership Podcast, which you probably already know because of the stinger that happened at the beginning of this episode. But what we're going to talk about is that, today... Is stinger, <laughs> is that like, uh, is that like, you know, behind the scenes language in, I the, think, yeah, in the industry? The, the first time I actually heard it was when Todd had mentioned it. Um, I think it's like, uh, I don't know, Todd, you could explain it. Well, you, any like it's it's a clip or piece of music that's you know, 30 seconds or less. Yeah, that, like functions like, as an introduction kind yeah. of, that kind mm. of thing. I don't know if it's like legacy language or not. Or like those, you know, like those, boing, 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 that kind of thing. Those are called stingers as well, but hopefully okay. we don't have any of those today. Yeah. It could be fun. Who knows? <laughs> You're not listening to Mel and the Junkyard Dog here on KFOR 97FM. Yeah. We could do that. <laughs> All right, so let's start off by talking about demonization. Uh, <laughs> what a segue. <laughs> dark turn. Uh, and I'll be specific here. When, I talk, when I'm saying demonization, uh, we're talking about when you dehumanize another person. Um, why is this dangerous? What is it? Why is it dangerous? And how can Christians guard themselves against demonizing others? Well, I mean... So uh, let's start meta, right? We're all created in the image of God. And so when I view someone else as less than human, when I view someone else as less than deserving of honor and love, and now that doesn't, I'm not talking about their behaviors. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about them as a person, right? Then what I'm doing is I am denigrating the image of God in them. I am failing to give them the significance that they deserve. Uh, and then, of course, when we do that, when we dehumanize someone, then we're able to then demonize them, right? To to make them not only someone who is not worthy of my love, but someone who's worthy of my derision and someone who's worthy of my anger. Uh, and so then that devolves into you know, wars and, you know, all kinds of wickedness and evil in our world. Yeah. What I catch most specifically in what you're saying, Todd, is this idea of being worthy of derision. So I think sometimes when people demonize others, what they're trying to accomplish is not only are they trying to justify persecution of this particular set of people, but they're trying to make it divinely appropriate to persecute them as yeah. if is if what they're doing is virtuous or even mm-hmm. commanded by God. Um, and I think so one element of demonization that I think happens. So it's, it's worse than saying that someone is bad or saying that someone is, um, you know, disagreeable or that you can't get along with them. It's almost like you're saying that they are, they themselves are abandoned by God, that mm-hmm. they're not worthy of, of the image of God. Yeah. That they're, they're not, they don't they're have that value. Yeah. And so there's, you're, you're sparking some kind of, and, and I've thought about this a lot. Like, um, it's, it's, it's almost worse than hate. So you, when you hate someone, I think you can hate someone and still recognize their value. Uh, but you always smash a spider 
And I think that the reason is because with a spider, there's like an element of disgust. There's an element mm-hmm. of, okay, not only is it inconsequential if I smash the spider, but I'm put off so much by it that I'm just going to do it. And I'm not going to think twice about it. And I think that's kind of the end point where you arrive whenever you fully dehumanize someone. Mm-hmm. You can take it past hate and you can take it into this space of just disgust. Yeah. Yeah, I think, Todd, you put it perfectly. Um we don't begin with demonization. We begin with dehumanization, right? Yeah. Like yeah. It, it's really hard for us to demonize somebody when we see their humanity and we see their story and we see their family and we see their context. Um, and, and that's part of why I think we might've talked about this on a recent podcast where we were talking about just conflicts basically when we're in conflict with people. But th- the easy thing to do is to dehumanize them and go on, well, Hey, I, I don't, I know why they behave like they do, and it's because they're evil. Um, and it's easy to do that in the church. It's easy to do that in our in our world. But um, it's really, really important for us to continually go back to what Todd was talking about. Just like, okay, this is a human made in the image of God. Yeah. No matter what they're saying or doing, um, I can still respect them as a human being. And and even. In churches, I think historically churches have done a really bad job loving the gay community. Um, and they might say we love the gay community, but their actions don't indicate right. it. And so you can still disagree with behavior and still um, and still see behavior as, um, as being counter to biblical standards or the word of God and still love people really, really well. But the way you do that is by understanding, Hey, they're a human made in the image of God that, that I'm going to love who they are, um, in spite of who they are not. Um, and that's not easy to do. It's much easier to, to vilify people and yeah. demonize them. And cause it makes, it's not just about them too. It's about us. Cause then we're the morally superior and we're justified and see, I'm not like that. And that's all the virtue signaling in our culture, too. It's like, see, I'm so good. Um, I do this and this and this and this. I'm not like them. They're evil. And uh, it's just, it's a pride issue a lot of times. Yeah. Well, you know, and like, you know, hearing you mention the the idea of I'm not like them. I mean, you know, it makes me think of, you know, the parable that Jesus tells about you know, the tax collector and the Pharisee mm-hmm. who are at the temple praying. And, you know, the tax collector falls on his face before God and says, you know, Lord, forgive me, I'm a sinner. And the Pharisee points his finger and says, I'm so glad I'm not like that tax collector. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's kind of the, you know, the the environment of our culture right now is that we all, I say we all, you know, we have a tendency to all be like the Pharisee and and not just religious people, right? People who, you know, on both sides of whatever issue you might choose are pointing fingers at one another and going, I'm so glad I'm not like them. Yeah, I don't do that, but I'm, I'm glad I'm not like you people that do. <laughs> <laughs> so this this topic is actually, I think it's rich with difficulty and just, yeah. it's, it's hard to take apart. So one element, rich I think- Rich with difficulty. <laughs> I like that dis- description. I dated a girl like that in high school. <laughs> she, was, she was rich with difficulty. <laughs> oh. uh, yes. Um, so part, one element I think at play in this is fear. So if you see a group of people 
and you're afraid of them and you're afraid of the ideas that they espouse. And maybe most particular, you're afraid of that the ideas they espouse are going to reach in and change your life. Then Mm -hmm. that motivates a lot of like, okay, we have to other this group of people um, and we need to demonize them because we need to attack them so that they don't come for us. It's kind of like a beat them to the punch kind of thing. And I think we see this sometimes. Okay, so let's let's get into the weeds a little bit. Um, When we're talking about the gay community and if you have like pride festivals, Mm -hmm. for instance, well, okay, in the name you have a sin with pride Mm -hmm. and then you have this issue of okay i'm i'm not i'm going to reject your christian understanding of me that i'm fundamentally made in the image of god and i'm going to tell you that no fundamentally my sexual identity is who i am Mm -hmm. and i'm going to not only ask that you agree with that i'm going to promote it actively and and so i think that the the christian community will see something like that and they'll think oh so like they get, tri- they almost, they almost uh, fall into the trap of accepting the false premise that there's that that a, a gay person's sexual identity makes up the foundation of who they are. Mm-hmm. I, I think that you can't accept the premise mm-hmm. because as soon as you accept the premise, you lose everything else going forward. And when I say lose, I don't mean like your side loses. I mean right. you actually lost the plot, and it's it's going to yeah. become impossible for you to love that person now because you've accepted the the premise that their sexual identity makes up the core of who they are. Yeah. And this applies not only to the gay community, but all different walks of life that, you know, that, or behaviors that, um, you know, the Bible would suggest are sinful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so there's an element of fear at play. There's an element of misconstruing a person's identity in response to their own misconstrual of it. Like all of this is happening at the same time. And, it almost seems like demonization becomes the path of least resistance somehow for, for a lot of people. Like it, it becomes, if they're intellectually lazy, they end up demonizing. Yeah. And yeah. I don't know why that is. I don't know why the, the major players in the thought leadership ecosystem are all pushing for this kind of demonization and this outrage. Why does it sell? Like they're doing it because it sells apparently. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. they're profit driven. Yeah. But why is it selling? Like why why is this is all of these questions need to be answered I think to start parsing out this idea. This this is just my opinion. I think um, I think the vast majority of us are addicted to being right. Like we want to be right so much that we will look for anybody to validate our rightness. Yeah. And so when we hear a politician or we hear, hear a preacher or we hear anybody who are who will validate uh, whatever my idea is, then we will jump on board. And um, you know, I've told, I mean, uh, Gerald Brooks, friend of friend of Back Forty, um, he said a few years ago to me, he said the quickest way to build your church is to pl- pick a political side and preach it. Um, you know, whether you're yeah. right or left, because you're going to find a whole bunch of people who just go, yeah, see, I'm right. Uh, my preacher is saying this, and. Uh, but it's true across the board, whether you're a news network or you are a podcaster or whatever. Um, you know, people probably don't listen to this podcast because they they disagree with everything we say. Probably there's something too like, okay, I agree with a lot of what they say. I want to hear more of that, and that's just the way we're wired. Yeah, and it's interesting too, like this idea of needing to be right and the fact that like you could 
yes, you could listen to a podcast or just be alone in your living room watching the news. And if the person mm -hmm. who cannot see you, okay, you're completely alone. So no one's going to see, you're not going to be exposed as wrong, mm -hmm. which I think is a big fear for a lot of people. But even if they say something, it still like rattles you. It's like, yeah. ugh, you know, and there's, so there's something going on there too. And um, <clears throat> yeah. Well, and when you can't, when you can't appeal to an absolute, then you just end up with frustration, right? Because if, you know, for those of us who follow Christ, right? The scripture, right? The truths that are revealed about God in his word are, we, those, those should be absolute. Mm -hmm. Those should be the things to which we appeal that we can govern our lives. So it's not a matter of what my opinion is, if my opinion differs from the Word of God, then it's it's me who needs to readjust. It's my life that needs to be reoriented around the Word of God. But when we have an environment like we currently have, where there's no absolute to which to appeal, then if I can't if I can't appeal to something greater than my opinion, well, then then I don't I don't have any means, and certainly, especially if there's not a common ground for which both of both parties mm -hmm. can appeal, then you just end up with a stalemate, right? It's a it's a he said he said kind of thing, right? Yeah. Where you you just end up at an impasse, and the the only way that we can resolve that impasse without having an absolute authority to which to appeal is to then demonize the other person, say, well, you're just an idiot, you're just stupid, or even worse. You're evil. You're bad because you don't think the way that I do. But then there's n there's nothing to which to appeal to resolve the conflict. That's where we're at. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about that impasse because I think we can approach this topic with maximum charity and say, okay, what if we're living in a space where there's just an epistemological divide? So here's what I mean. <clears throat> we'll use we'll apply it to like abortion. Um, let's say you have a group of people who are pro-choice to the core, right? Or pro-abortion to the core, depending on what language you choose to use. Um, and it's so important to them that, that the act of doing it becomes celebrated, almost like a sacrament. Mm -hmm. Okay, so then it's, it's core to their ideology. It's core to their belief. If you suggest pro-life legislation, for this group of people, then you are waging war on who they are and on yeah. their freedom itself. Like mm -hmm. that, imagine that. Now, how do you forge bonds with someone in that situation when even even doing so requires you to surrender ground that is equally important to you in the opposite way, right? Right. Like mm -hmm. if, if, if in order for you to become my friend and to work with me on anything, I have to ask you to accept the presupposition that life doesn't begin at conception. That's like a big presupposition to give up. Yeah. So why do why do we have to give up that ground in order to befriend? Well, I think probably the principal reason is that and, and again, not not everyone is like this, but there are some people who would demand that you give it up before you engage in positive relationship with them. Possibly, yeah. Uh but so here's the thing. I, I I don't think this is any different than Christians befriending people from other religions, right? Who would be epistemologically opposed to us. Um, we we just have to love radically, 
And that doesn't mean that everyone is going to accept relationship. Certainly there will be those who go, because you are a follower of Christ, mm-hmm. or because you hold this particular ideology, we cannot be in relationship. I think what Jesus would say to that is, shake off the dust, right? Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't you don't care, but it means that you recognize that, look, there, this isn't a possibility, and you offer them up to the Lord. You continue to pray for them. I mean, that's the thing. Like, when I see Christians so outraged in these kinds of debates, I just want, I just, I, I just ask myself, like, do we not trust the Lord? Do we not trust Jesus? Certainly, it can be frustrating. It can be disheartening when when you're when you're trying to dialogue with someone and there seems to be an impasse but but do i trust the lord in that if i'm if i'm getting uh angry or i am falling into despair or i am you know going we're all we're all going to hell in a handbasket and you know if if that's my response to these things then do i really trust the lord do I trust that he his promise is true that he's going to build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it? Do I do I trust that he according to his word is going to set all things right? You know, there's there's a, there's a there's a place in which we can grieve what grieves the heart of God but not fall into despair. And we have to we have to find that place in the Lord. Uh, otherwise, we will we will find ourselves continually f- falling into this trap of of demonizing others, of feeling like that everything's going to fall apart if I don't win this argument or if I don't convince this person of my. And it's not even our job to convince people. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Our job is just to be faithful and just to represent. Christ and his word and trust that God has things well in hand. Um, As you were talking, I just thought, I think we've had three elections since I've been here that I've had people in our church say, this is the most important election of our lifetime. It's like, I don't know if our country will survive. (laughs) The last one was the most important. This now this is the new most important. Um, But yeah, there, there definitely is an element of just going, okay, I'm going to, control what I can control. I'm going to control my heart and my thoughts, and I'm going to submit the rest to God. But um, I I think what Michael is saying is, practically speaking, it's really hard to bridge those divides. Yes. And what you're saying is, but it's not impossible. And both of those things are absolutely true. It's not impossible, but you have to have two willing participants who are going to be willing to have a good faith conversation. And uh, in my in my experience, it's really really hard when somebody some. It, it's interesting when you build a relationship before you know that stuff, yes. and then you find out, and it's like, oh, I didn't know I'm supposed to hate you. Right. <laughs> like, like, oh, do do we have to kill each other now? Or no, we can. Okay, and yeah. it's much. It's interesting when that happens because then it's like, oh, well, I didn't know you were a Republican. I guess I, I thought I hated Republicans. I guess we can be friends, yeah. or you know, whatever the case might be. Uh, but but when you come with those draw, lines drawn. It's really hard to get past that because, again, we demonize and we go all Democrats or all Republicans or all Presbyterians or all whatever it right. is. And uh, we paint with such a broad brush. 
that it makes it it makes it difficult for us. And there, I think personally, I don't have to seed ground. I don't have to. I don't have to let them take the ground in those kind of conversations as far as, okay, this is who you are, or, but I think they may have to think they are, if that makes sense. Yeah, so let's raise a problem here, and then we'll propose a solution and see where that lands. So the, the problem I would raise is that there are some people, many people, who just by virtue of the fact that I am heterosexual and white mm-hmm. would disregard everything I say mm-hmm. is that they're so captured by ad hominem that they can't hear yeah yeah uh, ideas anymore because they're blinded by identity it's just anything you say is evil even if song there. even if you tell me <laughs> even if you tell me you're going to cure cancer well you must be doing it for just so that you can uphold the patriarchy like you know yeah. so that's, that's their that's why it's an epistemological divide because yeah. it yeah. is the way that they come to know things. It's mm-hmm. the it's the filter through which they're perceiving reality. Okay, that's a problem because I don't know how to communicate with someone like that. Yeah. And then secondly, the the other problem is when you encounter someone like that, it becomes just viciously tempting to fall into the misperception of that person also. So here's here's what I mean by my misperception. You tell someone you're a Christian uh, and a misperception of that would be, oh, well, you just want to live like it's 1950. Yeah. You know, you want to go back to all of this and you want women to be barefoot in the kitchen and all like this, yeah. this kind of thing. Um, that's not what it means to be a Christian. That's a that's a misunderstanding right. of what it means to be a Christian, but it's, it's popular to graft that onto a Christian. And so the same is true for people who are on the left side of the epistemological divide. Yeah. There's lots of things that you can apply to them and mask them with so that it becomes unproductive for you to value them as a person and to have sure. a conversation with them. So maybe the solution is even when you encounter someone who is just not hearing you for reasons that you that are completely immutable, like you can't do anything about that. Mm-hmm. They're just refusing to, to hear you. Um, even in that environment, you have to resist. You have to pay attention to who they are actually who they are in truth yeah Yeah. not who the culture says they are like you have to resist misidentifying them yourself and maybe that's the pathway to being able to love them yeah you have to take each what you have to do for other people this is a novel idea right do unto others as you would have them do unto you right treat Mm -hmm. you know i want everyone who i meet to take me on my individual merits i don't want to be judged based on their assumptions about an entire group of people that I might belong to, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I want them to know me. Uh, and, and the same is true of every person that I encounter. Yeah. They want to be known. They want to be loved for who they are, right? And and not not their behaviors and not their, you know, who they are. And that's a, you know, uh, anyway, we could, we could get into the weeds on that. But everybody wants to be taken on their own merits, uh, and, and and as followers of Christ, we have to push for that. We have to fight for that because it's hard um, because it's easy for us to make assumptions about entire swaths of people, entire groups of people, um, good and bad, right? I can make assumptions about people who call themselves Christians and then end up surprised like, oh, you know? Uh, and so yeah. it's, yeah. Well, and, I, in my experience, people who disagree with me on some like cardinal things in my life 
typically aren't combative like the stereotype would say so we see the news we see political rallies and we see people that are like red-faced and veins popping out of their neck and we go oh that's what a person on the right looks like or a person on the left looks like and that that's a caricature right and usually when you come into contact with somebody who ideologically is different than you if you approach them that way, it's disarming because yeah. they might have the very same view of, you know, like we're a big church in our area. So there are people that have assumptions about me as the pastor just because I'm the pastor of this church right. or you guys because you're staff. And and so when we can disarm those preconceived ideas, it, it, it comes back to what we said earlier. Mm-hmm. It helps humanize, right? It's like, oh, yeah, uh, I met there was somebody in our lobby. We host um, I, I think once a month we have a thing called like safe what is it seniors for safe driving yeah seniors for safe driving basically we just host a class that these older people can come to and they can get like savings on their car insurance by going through this safe driving class like defensive driving for yeah yeah older folks yeah wouldn't be careful how we describe (laughs) that but yeah and so i'm walking through the lobby and i didn't have any meetings yesterday um and so i was low-key ball cap you know, sweatshirt. I was wearing my slippers because, you know, I wore my boots and I didn't want to wear my boots slippers. all day. Yeah, yeah, they were they were comfy, right? <laughs> and so, literally, I didn't have any appointments, so I was low key. And I'm walking through the the lobby, and one of these, um, this guy, I just said hello to, and hey, and he said, "Do you work here?" And I said, "I, I do." Or he said, "Do you attend here?" And I said, "I do." And he said, "This is a beautiful building." And I said, "Oh, thanks. You know, I appreciate that." And are you here for the? Yeah. And we just started talking, and his wife walked up, and she said, "Yeah, we have several friends that attend this church." And I said, "Oh, really?" And she said, "Can you tell me? Is the preacher here? Is he one of those yellers?" <laughs> and I said, "Well, what do you mean by that?" And she said, "Well, I mean, I grew up Catholic, and you know." And she said. But is, does he just scream all the time? And I was like, nope, the, the preacher here does not do that. And I would not I would not say that. And she's like, oh, okay. And we talked a little bit longer. And she said, so you work here? And I, yeah, I do. And she said, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm, I'm the preacher here. And she was like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. But, like, she her behavior changed when she knew who I was, yeah. right, in that yeah. moment. And it's like – if we bring those assumptions to the table, she would have treated me differently from the start if I was wearing right. a suit and a tie and my hair was fixed and right, mm-hmm. and I was using the language. And so I think it's really important for us to do our best to disarm. Like we don't come to those those conversations armed for bear. Like we don't come ready for a fight, but we come with a heart to disarm them and that we're disarmed as well, that we're just laying it down going, Hey, let's talk about these things that are really important and have a lot of value, but, but you are more valuable than this idea. And that's, that's one of the things that's really hard to do is to separate an idea from a person and go, Hey man, I love you. I believe in you and God's got a purpose and a plan for you. But can we talk about this idea? Can we talk about this philosophy? And if we can separate those two, it makes it easier because then it's not personal. It is not a personal affront or attack. It's Hey, we want to discuss this idea that we may disagree on, but I'm I still love you. So even in those conversations, I want to affirm, I want to come back and go, "Okay, I'm hearing what you're saying. When you say that, I hear what you're saying and I I don't disagree with that necessarily. And I just want are we still okay? Is there okay, I just want to make sure. So like those kind of things are important yeah. when you're trying to have those conversations because again, you're separating the idea from the person and it's not just you are evil and you're right. right. Mm-hmm. Well, am I trying to win an argument or am I trying to win a heart? 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, they're different, they're different approaches. They're completely different things. So I don't know if this is true for you guys, and I hope this doesn't sound just excruciatingly self-serving, um, but if you, I've noticed that these kinds of conversations about ideas become much, much easier to have whenever you know why what you think is true. Yeah. Um, and so now <laughs> that, that comes with the massive caveat of if you, in your exploration of your own ideas to determine whether why you believe what you believe is true. If you find out it's not true, you have to change it. Yeah. Right. Because then if you, if you hold to something that you know is wrong, you're going to be just wrought with anxiety whenever you go to have a conversation with someone who happens to be pretty well educated in the thing that you believe that is also wrong. Yeah. And so that kind of, uh, fear and that kind of, uh, how conversations tend to devolve to shouting and arguing. I think that, Look, that just doesn't happen with someone who is very well attuned to what they they know they believe and why they yeah. believe it. Because you, 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 there's no fear of being exposed as wrong if you've already explored the idea. Yeah. If you've taken the opposing ideas as seriously as you possibly can, you've looked for the best teachers on the ideas that disagree with you and, and still find out why yours holds water better, mm -hmm. then all of the pressures lifted. And yeah. then all of a sudden yeah. you can have conversations with people without fear. Yeah. And so like that sounds arrogant if, unless you're willing to change your ideas, mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. So, and Michael, that's, that is why I think that biblical literacy is the major issue for the church right now. Mm -hmm. Cause there are so many people who uh, would call themselves Christians have, you know, um, have faith in Christ, but still hold to ideologies that are opposed to the Word of God because they don't know the Word of God. Yeah. Right. Um, and the the hour hour and a half that they spend in church on a given weekend, if they attend every weekend, which you know, statistically most <laughs> people don't. Right. They're there twice a month, maybe if they're you know, and so that three hours a month and and really if you want to boil it down to the sermon you, you're down to an hour probably right if mm -hmm. the sermon's 30 minutes long if it's 45 you got an hour and a half so a, not a significant amount of time spent in god's word studying god's word uh and so and and then like the how how long would it take to cover all of the things that the the scriptures address mm -hmm. oh, you know it's a lifetime right and so if people don't know the word of god well then it's easy for us to be swayed by the opinions of the world or yeah. you know that kind of thing and so i think this is why that biblical literacy is the issue to me in the church right now yeah and just to add to that um so when we talk about having the word of god be the core of your beliefs and that coming, if you have that core, then you, you know why you believe what you believe because it's stated in the word of God. But then you can even go further and you can say, okay, not only is that going to give me strength in these conversations, but I, I also know why I read the translation that I read. Mm -hmm. I, I've read about translations. I know right. I can, if we want to have that conversation, we can have that conversation. I've read about how, look, we're, if we strip it of its, of its religiosity for a second, we're dealing with ideas that have survived for 2000 years. If we're talking about just the entire canon, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. in a environment, in an environment that is absolutely hostile to ideas. Yeah. Um, and 
So there are reasons for that. Like there are, there are real reasons why it's still here yeah. and why so many people still worship Jesus. Yeah. And so if you explore that, if you explore those ideas, if you explore the apologetics of it and you go all the way up, then you're just much more comfortable having those conversations, not only with other believers, but with people outside of the faith. Well, and some of the people on the right that are Christians are critical of people on the left because they struggle to support their ideology or their beliefs because they'll say things like, well, this is the way I feel. Well, I feel this way, so it must be true. And people, sometimes people on the right will be critical of that. But if we're going to be honest, if you get into a biblical discussion with them, like, okay, but why do you feel that way? Or why do you believe that? Well, because I feel like it's true. I feel the presence of God. I feel, and yeah. it's like, there's not a way to support what they're actually um, what they actually profess is their faith other than feeling. And feeling is a really important part of how we worship and what we do, feeling the presence of God, you know, but we've, we've got to have a, a foundation that's more firm than, well, um, I feel this way, even in relationships, right? I talk to couples, you, you do counseling that yeah. I'll talk to couples and they'll say, well, I just don't feel like I'm in love. It's like, well, you choose to be in love, right? Like you make a choice um, and you have to anchor that in something. And if it's just about your feeling, your marriage is doomed from day yep. one. And so the same thing is true. If if our faith is based on how I feel, well, pastor preached really well today and I feel good. I just feel, the worship was awesome. And I just feel like that feeling's going to go away. It is fleeting, man. And so you've got to be anchored in something that is much deeper than how you feel. But unfortunately, there are a whole bunch of people who attend church that that's all it is. Like, I need to be entertained more. I need to be, yeah. you know, and if it's not, then I'm out because it's a feeling. It's not a conviction. It's not a covenant. It's not a, you know, there's, there's not more to it than that. Yeah. I love the, I love the illustration of marriage here because what it does is it really sends home the treacherous nature of trusting in your feelings and guiding your own life by your feelings. Because if someone comes to you and says, my marriage is doomed because I don't feel like I'm in love anymore. Yeah. It's like, no, you're not only is your marriage doomed, but marriage as such in your yeah. life is doomed. The yeah. concept of marriage yeah. is doomed the for you. The institution itself. Yes. Yeah. And so that means you're going to die alone. And it's like, oh, well, I don't know if I want to die alone. I don't know if I want to have seven failed marriages until I die. Like there's people, they don't want that. They don't set right. out for that. Right. Um, and so that is true in so many different domains of existence, mm -hmm. that idea. And so what that shows, what that illustration shows is the importance of how when you integrate yourself with truth, when you, when you view the world as it actually is and the institutions of the world as they actually are, mm -hmm. that's how you can, that's the only way you can set yourself up for success. And if you start to depart from that, it comes apart and yeah. then you just suffer needlessly, just needless immiseration until you're gone. Like that doesn't sound fun. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, going back to the idea of scripture, uh, because I think it's relevant to all of this because it's not only about knowing what's in there, mm -hmm. but our approach to it, our understanding of Scripture. Like, do I have a high view of Scripture? And what right. I mean by that is, um, and we talked about this a little earlier, is it the absolute standard for faith and conduct, right? Or is there some other authority to which I appeal? Because, you know, there are folks even within the church who would who would say that there are other authorities to which we can appeal? Uh, going back to um, 
you know, the, the LGBTQ issue and that kind of thing. Uh, this is a quote from Luke Timothy Johnson, who is uh, a progressive scholar. I, I don't really like to use the word progressive in regard to this argument, but he's a progressive scholar, right? Which means that he's pro-same-sex uh, unions, same-sex relationships. Uh, and th- so this is this is a biblical scholar on that side of the issue. And listen to this. He says, I think it's important to state clearly that we do, in fact, reject the straightforward commands of Scripture and appeal <laughs> instead to another authority when we declare that same-sex unions can be holy and good. And what exactly is that authority? We appeal explicitly to the weight of our own experience and the experience thousands of others have witnessed too, which tells us that to claim our own sexual orientation is in fact to accept the way in which God has created us. And so when we talk about our feelings, which is exactly what he's appealing to at Mm -hmm. that point, when we talk about our experience, and that's the thing that I'm going to appeal to as the highest authority, then we always will find ourselves in disagreement. We always will find ourselves in this place where we go, well, that's not my experience, and my experience is true, right? And and then you have, well, that's that may be your truth, but that's not my truth, and there's no foundation on which to build real relationship, on which to build culture, on which to build society, on which to build the family, on yeah. which to build the church. All of it erodes. It's it's building a house on sand, and when the storm comes, it will fall. Yeah. So, like th- this is this is really interesting. Um, I completely agree with the the proposition that as soon as you reject the command of scripture and depend on subjective experience, you've, you're lost. Yeah. And and part of the reason for that. And so, I want to know what you think about this. Uh, the Catholic concern for the Protestant Reformation and the churches that would result is that every individual would become his or her own church mm-hmm. uh, because yeah. then, because it's, it's not, it's almost in some sense, it's not enough. And l- look, I am a sufficiency of scripture guy to the core. So when mm-hmm. I say not enough, I don't mean it's not enough, <laughs> um, but it's perceived that it's not enough to just have the scripture because then what you actually have is each individual's interpretation of the scripture. Mm-hmm. And so then the Catholics would say, that's why you need a magisterium of, uh, you need the church to offer right. official canonical interpretation so that you have actually some kind of commandment by which you can or- organize and orient your values. Um, w- now, is that a concern for this cultural moment? I, I think we're way past that. Yeah. <laughs> we're getting into like just the kind of subjective experience that the postmodernists are talking about. Yeah. yeah, that's way that's 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 extremely far off. But can you speak in defense of the Protestant view of the sufficiency of Scripture when it comes to this fear of each individual becoming his or her, her own church and just grafting their own image onto God by the way that they understand the text? So I I think I want to get there via this direction. I, I want to give what I see that is good in the Catholic perspective, right? Is that traditions are important. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to note that of all, you know, of that the, the mainline denominations that would be probably most closely mirror the Catholic Church in Protestant circles. Those are the ones that, I mean, the Catholics seem to have been right, right? Those are the ones who have mm-hmm. gone, well, we're going to set aside 
the authority of Scripture and appeal to experience, appeal to, you know, that, that are affirming same-sex unions, that are affirming that everybody kind of gets to choose. Everybody's a God for themselves, right? And so, so there's some legitimacy to that accusation, to that concern, uh, where, where I think the, where I would differ in opinion from the Catholic Church in, in this is that while I would say, yes, that traditions are important, and traditions shape community, and traditions help us to remain faithful to the the teachings of Scripture. The Catholic Church would hold that the traditions of the Church are equal to Scripture. That's where I would differ. And I would say that every tradition has to be built upon the foundation of the Word of God, uh, but it, it does not stand equal to, nor can it supersede the Word of God. Well, and, and in terms of talking about tradition, too, I had this conversation with a um, guy in our church who's Catholic background, and he was talking about how we're non-traditional, and we don't use tradition. And I was like, well, we are traditional, and we our traditions just look different. Right. And, I, and, I said, and he's been to the church enough. I said, how do I finish every service? And he said, <laughs> you say, I love you more than you know. I'm so glad you're my pastor, uh, that I get to be your pastor. I was like, yep, 100%. And if I didn't, literally every service I've ever done at Summit the entire time I've been here, I finish with, hey, guys, yeah. you know, some version of that. And if I didn't, I promise somebody after Absolutely. would be like, what's wrong? What did you, you didn't, you didn't do that. Are you leaving? Starting right. with the production department. <laughs> <laughs> because we use that as a cue. You just follow me as I walk off the platform. Like, he stay didn't on say Mel. it yet. Stay, stay with Mel. Mel. He didn't yeah. say it. He must have an illustration. <laughs> so, so even churches who are non-traditional have traditions and those traditions should serve a purpose yes. of some kind. So yeah, I, I concur with that, that traditions can be really, really valuable as long as you understand what they really are. Um, when you elevate the tradition, that's where it becomes a problem. But but what well, you're talking about as far as – oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, like, baptism yeah, the, and communion, the Lord's Supper, right? Those are super important rituals, yeah. and they are formative and foundational to what we do. But when we hold those up as salvific – yeah. Then they then we hold them in a place that the word of God does not hold them, and yeah. that becomes problematic. Yeah. Um, but in terms of um, each individual being a church to themselves, like we face that in our church, I counsel with people all the time that are like, "Yeah, I believe the word of God is true. It's uh, that is the standard for my life." But yeah, right. And what they're doing is they're their own little church. I'm doing my own thing. And that's one of the things I think the evangelical church has probably missed itself on a little bit is by de-emphasizing the importance of uh, decentralizing church in some ways, by by emphasizing the, the importance of the individual believer. And yes, you are very, very important, but man, there's just a lack of honor in churches across America for leadership and for um, pastors or, and I'm not, I sound like I'm, you know, poor us, we're victims and that's not the case at all. But I feel like the system that, that has been set up, it supports the individual to the detriment of the, the corporate. And I mean, even from a philosophical perspective, we see our communities moving away from a belief in, um, um, the corporate identities and corporate, you know, um, churches, uh, the government, like there's a mistrust of those things and it's even that's decentralized. So I feel like this is a cultural issue, not just for the church, uh, but just our culture in general. 
Um, and so, but I see it every day where people, you know, they are an individual church to themselves. They have, you know, the Bible is deeply subjective for most people, um, that I will cherry pick the stuff I like and the stuff I don't like, I will dis, you know, disregard. And so it, it is a problem in some of the mainline churches that are getting the headlines for some of the issues. But let's be honest, it happens on an individual basis in our church all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's on the topic of honoring leadership, um, I heard someone say to a pastor once, I've survived three pastors and I'll survive you too. <laughs> it's yeah. like, okay. That's the heart of Jesus right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, this is, it's a war uh, of attrition. That's yeah. right. <laughs> so, so uh, and this would be a good place to, to land. Um, we're talking a lot about loving people um, despite how they might present themselves if, if, if they present themselves in a way that's not accurate. So people can be confused. And when a person's confused, um, you have to not accept their confusion right. as the truth of who they are, or else it becomes really hard to love them because yeah. you have all this barrier in the way. Okay, so how does love depend on an accurate understanding of design? So for instance, if you treat an infant like an adult, the infant will die right. because the infant is not an adult. Mm-hmm. So we live in a culture, I think, that is allergic to stereotypes. But if we lose our ability to accurately label and categorize our environment, won't we also lose our ability to love? What would you say? Uh, so to, to kind of sharpen the question, um, aren't some stereotypes useful? And uh, like, this is not, this is, <laughs> we're walking on some thin ice right now. <laughs> just throw, throw, we might need to, uh, I'm glad this isn't live. We might need throw to fix this in post landmines all over the place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I will tell people stereotypes. There is some truth in a lot of stereotypes. Right. And I mean, we're just going to jump right into the racial stereotype. I've known there's a stereotype that a lot of people of color, a lot of black people can't swim. But I've known a lot of black people that couldn't swim like they didn't have a community pool in their neighborhood. They, you know, so they never learned to swim. Right. Um, And you could look at that and go, well, that's racist. Or you could go, well, there's some truth in that. So it's important for me not to paint with a broad brush and go, this is true for all black people. They can't swim. But, hey, there's a lot of them that can't in my experience. And so I think there are some stereotypes that I think are useful, but we've got to be careful how we apply those. Right. Well, and the, and then the challenge for us is to examine why the stereotype exists right. and then address those things. So you, you mentioned they didn't have a, a community pool, mm-hmm. right? So they didn't have access. Yeah. Uh, and then there's also the issue of, like, if we go back historically, like, you know, Black people were being drowned, yeah. right? There, there was a reason that they were afraid of water. They were brought in boats from Africa <laughs> yeah. to the to America, and some of them were thrown overboard. And like, you know, there's 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 all kinds of historical things, right? And so you have to unpack those things and go, why does this stereotype exist? And then address those issues if they need to be addressed, both in terms of our own heart and in terms of the practical things that we can do to confront them. And make sure that we're viewing every person as uh, on their own merits as an yeah, individual. Absolutely. Yeah. So the maybe the the a way to see this clearly is uh, just just how bad the advice is of you can be whatever you want to be. Oh and, yeah. And so, for instance, that's just not true. If you so, dream it, you can achieve. Yeah. It. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So like, if you see an infant, you have to apply a category there. You yeah. are an infant. Uh, it doesn't matter if the infant says to me, I, I want to drive your car. I'm, I'm an adult. It's like, no, I'm not going to do that. You're an infant. Um, 
and the same thing applies to like, I love my dog, but my mm -hmm. dog is a dog. Yeah. And if I treat her like a human, that would be a disservice to her. That would be unloving to do. And it would be a disservice to humans too, let's be honest. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. So, so categories matter. Yeah. And I don't think we can love appropriately. And, it, and it's like people, the just the bleeding heart, blindly compassionate people would hear something like this and they'd think, oh, well, you're just cruel if you're not loving everyone equally. It's like, no, equality in love doesn't mean equality in type. And mm -hmm. it doesn't mean in right. equality in treatment because certain people, you just can't treat them the same way. There are people. So, well, so Michael, to, I think that if, if there's someone, for example, who calls himself a Christian and says that they are submitted to the authority of the Word of God, I'll be more confrontational with that person yeah. than I would with someone who does not claim those things, right? Now, that doesn't mean that I won't, uh, you know, that I won't confront their opinion. That doesn't mean that we don't have a discussion and that I don't disagree with them, but I don't have the same expectation for them that I would of someone who who claims the name of Jesus and, and says that they're submitted to the authority of Scripture. Those, those are different things. And so, yeah, I, loving that person well means confronting the inconsistency right. in their life. Yeah. Loving the other person well means it is a different prospect because it means introducing them to yeah. the loving God of Scripture. It means introducing them to the the concepts of the authority of Scripture and and what you know and what it means to be submitted and surrendered to that. And so the expectation is different because the categories are different. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Go ahead and finish your thought though, because I think you're going somewhere. So, so th this I think is why it becomes so difficult to love across the divide because part of the belief that's integral to the opposite side of the divide is that there is nothing outside of myself which can be used to define myself. That's what non-binary means. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It means that the, the truth of what it means, <laughs> it's, it's, it's less about like male, female, mm -hmm. although I know they'll say, oh no, it's a spectrum and it is about male, female. The, the whole point of the non-binary is that Look, there's nothing you can point to outside of myself that can be used to contain the definition of myself. Yeah, all yeah. truth is intrinsic to me. Right. And so it actually becomes impossible to very hard to love someone <laughs> in that situation because you don't know who they are uh -huh. mm -hmm. if you accept their presupposition about themselves. And neither do they, which is why they have so much difficulty loving themselves as well. Hmm. Thanks for joining us for the Back 40 podcast. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, yeah, that, that's the moment right there. But yeah, it's exactly true. Um, but and, and not to just biblically base all this, but at the end of the day, like people are really, really, really hard to love. And are we supposed to love people across the board? Absolutely we are. Some people are going to be way harder to love than others. There are going to be people who think like you and believe like you, and you're going to love them like a brother, and you're going to die for them. Yeah. And then there are people that you're going to love because God calls us to love them, and they're going to be really hard to love. And if, if you had to die for them, it'd be like, oh, maybe I would, right? But And that's, gonna, that's just the way it is. Yeah. And so when it comes to a specific situation like that one that you just described is it possible yeah it's possible but man it's going to be really hard but that's that is 
that is what God Christ has called us to. Like everything is supposed to be like I've got Jim Hennessy would disagree with me on this. We we've had this discussion before. <laughs> like ministry is really, really hard. Um, and the day that you think it's supposed to be easy is the day that you're, you've stopped probably being effective in ministry. It's going to be really hard. There are going to be days that you want to go sell cars or insurance or do something else besides minister because people are hard to love. Um, they're out to get you at times. They'll send you hateful emails. They will write things about you on Facebook. They yeah. will all these things. Um, but the point isn't that it's easy. The point is that it's really hard, right? That's yeah. why excruciating, it means of the, the cross, cross right? Yeah. Like that's what we do. Uh, and that's what we signed up for. And 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 so for me, loving people that are hard to love is is what we signed up to do. And so like if I can frame my calling that way that hey, I signed up to do hard things, it makes it easier to do hard things. And I'm not comparing ministers to Navy SEALs at all. Like don't, don't misunderstand me. But like it's a different kind when of they, hard. When they yeah, when they go through SEAL training, they know like the, the, one of the things they say is embrace the suck, right? Yeah. Like every day is going to be suck uh, sucky. Every day is going to be hard. And if we can understand, man, God is still really really good in spite of that. It makes it easier. Does it make it easy for us to love somebody who, who like you just laid out? No, it's really hard. And that's where we got to ask the Holy Spirit to give us guidance and help me understand, like, how do I love somebody that seems impossible to love, even to the point that they can't really love who they are? Like, okay, God, you're going to have to do something. But again, I feel like, not to oversimplify it, that's what we signed up for. Yeah, I know. And I don't think it oversimplifies it. And I think it brings a lot of value. So for instance, it's, 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 it's really valuable to approach ministry that way, because if you carry that as you go into it, mm-hmm. then when it gets really hard, you don't become afraid that you're doing it wrong. Right. Yeah. You, you still know you're on the right path because yeah. it's supposed to be like this. And so that's... Well, yeah. and we have this mis- misperception in ministry. It's so, so easy for us when we're isolated, especially to think I'm doing it wrong and other people are doing it right. Like I'm, I'm screwing this up. I know. But uh, Colin McKnight, our campus pastor in Blairsville, he had lunch with some other campus pastors from Allison Park and Victory. And he was talking to me about it yesterday. And he just said, it's really good because I feel like a failure until I talk to those guys. And, it, and none, of us, none of us know what we're doing. Yeah. It's like, yeah. yeah, that's it. Like, you just summed up ministry, man. Like, none of us know what we're doing. Yep. We're doing the best we can. And, and, and that's the thing. When we... It's easy for us to think it's supposed to look a certain way or I'm supposed to feel different or whatever it might be. But, man, we just do the best we can, right? We're led by the Spirit. We love God really, really well. And we love people as well as we possibly can. And that's it. Yeah, that's a that's a really good place to end this. Mel, Todd, thank you for joining me. Yeah, thank you. And thank you. Thank you guys for listening to the Back 40 Leadership Podcast. We will see you in the next episode. If you enjoy this content, please let us know by rating and reviewing the podcast. You can also contact us at summitpodcasts.church. Remember to share this episode with your friends and on social media. Summit Podcasts can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Thank you for listening to the Back 40 Leadership Podcast, and we will see you in the next episode.